Lengel van Tegelen, Community Manager at Bol.com. How are you doing? I'm doing awesomely. Um, looking at uh, what hap is happening today again. Um, all those Bol.com engineers having a great time again. Uh, all organized by engineers for engineers. Yeah, what can you want for more, I think. Great. Did you have the, uh, time to see some presentations yourself? Yeah, I did see some presentations. Uh, one I particularly liked was from uh, an ex-Bol.com employee, Jim van der Waal, coming back, telling us uh, how we could do uh, products at Bol.com, maybe. So that was inspiring. Um, also saw the talk by Eduardo da Silva, again, on uh, products and building a great product team, which I really liked. And of course, uh, the big zombie show after lunch. Um, give Bol.com engineers a puzzle and they will go for it. So that was really great to see. Teamwork. Teamwork, it's about teamwork. That's also amazingly, again, what the Space Summited crew uh, put together again. Uh, a lot of extra hours they put into it and uh, they made a great event again. Welcome to this special episode of the Bol.com Tech Lab podcast. This is the second in a series about our internal tech conference, the Space Summit. Just like in a regular episode, we share our experience with you, peeking behind the screens of IT and tech in general at Bol.com, showing you our approach to IT, e-commerce and retail platforms. We are looking into the things that we are enthusiastic about that are happening here. As always, we have a bunch of ideas to share in this series. This is how we do IT. I'm hosting this show together with Peter Brouwer. My name is Peter Paul van der Beek. We both have performed in several roles in the IT here at Bol.com. With that background and all the experience that came with it, we're really looking forward to share insights and learnings with you. And yes, we are excited. Why? Because the third edition of Spaces Summit is about to start. Spaces Summit, our yearly summit for and by engineers. And because we are so excited, we decided to share this today with you. Please listen to our previous episode to learn more about the Spaces Summit itself. The what, why and who. In this episode, we interview four presenters at the Spaces Summit to give you an insight of the subjects and share the key takeaways with you. Please bear with us. We set up our mobile studio equipment the best we could, but as we are here on this great location, we might get some background noise and disturbance. Stick, I, I like the one about, uh, it's not really, uh, you, you cannot use it in your day-to-day -day job, but about the game, uh, the game, uh, how, how it's progressed from, uh, from being uh, with no shaders and uh, all the shader stuff. I really like that talk. Game rendering. Yeah, yeah. On top of mind, I have one that I've been uh, just after the, the afternoon keynote, keynote that is about games, about rendering, and it got me thinking about uh, yeah how it gets so slow to render text and so fast to render uh, 3D models and images and stuff. <laughs> so now we have uh, Roy uh, joining us. Um, Roy is uh, also a software engineer at Bol.com. He's been with us for uh, 18 months, but this talk was, uh, yeah, I guess more about the spirit uh, before that, where he worked in the in the gaming industry, uh, basically. Yeah. So uh, welcome, uh, Roy. 
Thank you. And uh, yeah, what was your talk about? Oh, my talk was about uh, the magic of real-time rendering in games. And I basically show you uh, how much games do in the, a split of a second and uh, how they use a lot of uh, trickery uh, to make you believe that you see something while in the end uh, a lot of simplified stuff is shown on screen. Okay, so basically yeah, a lot of magic uh, uh, happens. And yeah. could you share some of the magic that's, that's happened with our listeners? Um, well, if you would do uh, the real thing, then you would bounce light uh, around the scene until you get a complete image of the scene, because that's basically how it physically works. But in game engines, we draw uh, a lot of tiny triangles instead, and we just try to fill in those triangles uh, and compute for every pixel in the triangle uh, how the light could look, uh, taking all kinds of shortcuts instead of bouncing the light around. Yeah, so basically we're, we're simplifying the, the calculations yeah. uh, to get to an yeah, as good as possible image. Yeah. And for that as good as possible, we need this magic. Yeah, and, and the approach really is uh, not trying to do something that simulates a physical process, but something that by accident also looks a bit like that physical process. <laughs> okay, and the extent to, uh, to the uh, looks a bit like, that, that, that's why you need that magic to yeah, make it really that people believe it and that they actually have the sense that they're in the game. Yeah, because it's yeah because in the end I compare those tricks to actual magic tricks and uh, my takeaway is, is that you have to do something believable, but you don't have to do the real thing as, lo as long as you do it so fast that nobody will notice that you're doing something different. <laughs> okay, so so one of the things that you that also in your talk you were uh, yeah, you were really pointing out was uh, yeah basically uh, speed of uh, of uh, rendering, speed of computing. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, because in uh, Baldacom we use a microservice landscape and services sometimes take really long to respond, maybe a second or two or even three. And that was something which was really surprising for me when I started at Bold.com because I thought, oh, we have so many customers and so much data coming in and out that has to be handled really, really fast. Well, a game engine does a lot of work and none of that work can take longer than one sixtieth of a second. So that's a lot faster than most of our microservices are. Yeah, so yeah. it's really about perspective, I guess. Uh, Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and still I'm trying to get my head around it. How, how can we learn from this from the gaming in industry as Bold.com? Uh, well, there actually there was this morning there was uh, another um, a talk and it talked about data locality. And that is one thing that game engines usually do really well. They, all the information stays on one computer, so that also already makes it a lot faster. But we even take care that we place uh, data in memory uh, next to each other after if we need it next to each other and that way we can get a really high throughput because you can get the data really easy this physical proximity yeah, basically physical, we'll feel physical physical proximity even on the machine yeah wow <laughs> okay yeah for, for me it was a very uh, technical talk uh, sometimes even uh, hard to to follow um what do you think the the audience uh, uh, get out of it uh, well, I hope it's a blunt, blunt question, but <laughs> I hope uh, two things. So, uh, a little bit getting an idea of of how game engines work, but really on a high level. So I, I tried not to. I showed some difficult math, but I tried to only tell uh, what it tries to compute instead of do telling you how. Uh, but I, what I also hope is that one of the takeaways is that you don't always have to do exactly what you're saying. Sometimes taking a shortcut or doing something completely different with, with a similar result is good enough because it has to be believable. Okay, don't do this for your finance data, <laughs> but for a lot of stuff, it's, if it's it believable, uh, then it's good enough. Because people will not be able to tell the difference. 
Mm, yeah, because the, the, the basically their sensors won't be able to make the difference. That's also where yeah. where, where, where the the number of uh, yeah uh, frames per second that you basically need to show in games comes from, right? Yeah, because we show 60 frames per second because most people cannot see uh, that that then it's not then it's are those are still images, but they see it as a moving image. Exactly. So some people are a bit sensitive about it, but science is still out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Could be placebo effect, uh, I guess. Yeah. So and, and how was the feeling to be on this stage, on the main stage with, with this big audience? Oh, I was a bit scared. I was hoping for the, the, the smaller room. Uh, so I, when I heard that I had to go onto the big stage, uh, I was a bit scared. But it was a really good feeling. Uh, it didn't feel uh, threatening at all to be on the stage. So it actually was uh, more relaxed than I could hope for. So there's an invitation for uh, all your colleagues to, to yeah, go for their uh, especially, next year. Yeah. yeah, and you can see some of the colleagues you know, so you see a lot of friendly faces who are happily uh, nodding about. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always uh, That's yeah. good to know. Good yeah, to uh, that these people are also in the audience yeah. because uh, yeah, makes you feel at ease. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. What, what I'm also uh, looking at because yeah, one of the things is is, is perspective and perspective of on performance of uh, of I. Uh, basically could you share uh, another uh, yeah interesting insight that you uh, gained when moving from the game industry to bold.com uh? well um, one thing of course a game runs on one machine and you hope that it never goes wrong there because then people have a bug but if it goes wrong that one user might be a little bit angry and they but you will never hear about it and they will turn on their computer again and they will continue playing while at bold.com you have all these uh, dashboards hanging everywhere which just throw in your face that hey you did something wrong there something went wrong there a thousand people had this issue and in uh, game engines or in games in general you usually you work two to three years on a big game and then you ship it and maybe you get some angry replies on a forum but you never get this really direct feedback you don't get dashboards over dashboards over dashboards with red lines going up and down uh, so basically also users uh, uh, come into edge cases let's call them that and which we really have tested mm -hmm. in a game yeah you it's just out there and someone gets mad on a forum, that's yeah. it. And, yeah. <laughs> and But if something happens in, at yeah. a, like an e-commerce site like Bold.com, well then there are some red flags or red lights or yeah. whatever. Uh, but also the, the nice thing here is that if I see that something is going wrong, I can publish a fix to production in one hour and that kind of turnaround time I have never seen that before and then I can just see that that error just going down instantly after I uh, I push something I see all the graphs normalizing and and I can relax okay. well for game engines that's uh, or for games I have to say that's a very different process you go through a lot of stages especially if you release on a, on a console like the Xbox or the PlayStation then Microsoft or Sony has to certify your patch and it can take weeks or even months before that little change that you made actually gets to consumers. Yeah, exactly. So here again, uh, what I, I like about this is that that speed of uh, rendering frames and speed about getting stuff to the market are also different kinds of Very speed. And also yeah. the perspective on on that one is uh, is quite different. I, I, I really like that. Cool. Okay, Roy, it's triggering a, a lot of questions uh, uh, when we start talking about it. So yeah. maybe it might be a good idea to uh, to spend an, uh, an, uh, another episode on uh, on the podcast on this subject as well. Definitely, yeah. But for now, I think uh, we have to uh, uh, to conclude it with, yeah, I would say uh, great that you are on stage with uh, uh, such a subject that you're passionate about and that you want to share with your, with your colleagues. So, and thanks for, for sharing in the podcast. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Roy. Uh, 
I only saw a few talks uh, completely, but uh, one talk uh, was about uh, testing and uh, they had a small movie in it uh, with Buurman and Buurman. And I really found it uh, 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 really nice how it affected the talk. Uh, it was not something that I would ever use in it, uh, but it was really nice and uh, she did great. The metaphor for the Edja team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Albert Heijn one, which was also interesting that they run 1600 containers in production, but still on-premise. Okay, you just listened to the AHA story about testing. What do you think after that? Yeah, I think that everyone can test, but it uh, depends on the environment you're in. Uh, we, uh, we sometimes are in a very simple environment with, with our microservices. And I think it's more easy for people to... to to test there because they don't have to be that curious to find all the bugs. So, okay, thanks. So now we have here uh, Ramona de Wit van Ark. She's a test lead at uh, AHA Digital, and she also, yeah, basically just came off uh, stage uh, for, uh, from her talk about uh, testing. Uh, so, Ramona, could you uh, share with our listeners what it was about? Um, it was actually about uh, the three key values we have at uh, Albert Heijn Digital Development when it comes to testing. Uh, the first key value is that testing uh, is a team effort. Uh, the second is that it's uh, an investigation over validation. And the third is that we always give feedback. Okay, okay. And let's uh, elaborate on the, on the first one, uh, test together, test as a team. So what's needed for that? Well, first of all, uh, you still have the sort of classical way of thinking of testing that the developer develops and the tester tests and it's a sort of separate thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to, you know, get those boundaries out of the way. Okay. Like, no, it's not something you do, it's something I do. We have to collaborate. Um, so I don't want the finger pointing going on like, uh, you didn't test this properly. Like, yeah. hmm? But if you're honest, you are the one who's making a mistake and blaming me for it. Um, so what I'm trying to do at Albert Heijn uh, Digital Development is that we are just testing as a team. We collaborate about the test automation pyramid. Uh, we're doing exploratory test sessions as a team. So not only the tester is doing it, but everybody uh, participates. And uh, so on, so on, so on, actually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you started uh, the presentation with a cool uh, uh, video clip of Buurman and Buurman. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure <laughs> if it's, that's known uh, outside the Netherlands, <laughs> but okay. Uh, but it's uh, uh, the, uh, you, you use it as a metaphor for uh, being an agile team and, and what they do and maybe shouldn't do. That's, that's great. So thank you for uh, the next time I look Buurman and Buurman. It's <laughs> we'll think of you. Um, but what you also pointed out is that... Um, uh, it, it's about the ex explicit things and the tacit things, right? Yes, right, correct. And you say it's more about the latter one. Yes, because explicit things is like, well, what's written down and uh, even the software, the pictures. And that's for everybody visible in the team, right? If, if you have a user story and there's been written down what the acceptance criteria is, actually everybody can check this, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but tested things are the things that nobody thought of, like like, like Dexter and Didi, you know, what is this person do? Th that yeah. effect? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's more important because most bugs are found in 
the 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 unknown flows and the unpictured things and the unwritten things and that's uh, more of the job for the tester i'm trying to investigate like what should this feature do what didn't we think of what is the customer expecting um, so it's really an exploratory session that's going on in my mind and um, where i try to keep asking questions to everybody including the product owner the business stakeholders and the team like did you think of this did you think of that and so and because you you state uh, that testing is going on in your mind you in your head basically yeah. and also now you're stating that but on the other hand it's a it's a team effort so basically you have to get out of your head and involve the rest of the team and your yes. way of doing that is by asking questions or yeah asking questions and like i said doing exploratory test session together so together we create charters and on a charter it's like what are we going to test what do we want to discover and what will be sort of the mission mm -hmm. and then everybody gets a charter you pair up yeah and then you get a charter and you go uh, through the app or the website or this specific feature and in this way everybody also you know get triggered to think in a different way like oh it, it's uh, wide or broad enough to not be specific on a feature but you have to get your own mind flowing like yeah. okay if i have to break this how can i do it exactly or how, how could i misuse this for yes, example yes. and think from could, if i could do something wrong what could i manipulate right also and stuff like that yes and that's that's exploratory testing as a team so cool. uh, okay. that's also a way to get everybody triggered in the beginning of the of your presentation you shared uh, uh, I, I think it's kind of side project you're doing you're raising money for your own foundation yes uh, uh, what do you how do you use the experience over there in your daily job how do you mean that exactly like is, is there something you you learn from that experience that you can use in your team in your teamwork uh oh yeah sure because uh having a foundation uh, you have to work with a lot of people who doesn't have anything to do with tech for mm -hmm. example, yeah, you know, yeah. they're not IT people, yeah. they're just people coming from all kinds of places. And also, of course, if you work with uh, people in Sri Lanka, my contact persons there, you have a cultural clash, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, what do you learn about that is that you have to have a lot of empathy for the people you work with mm -hmm. and always uh, uh, be understanding and uh, listen to someone if he tells something. And that's, I think, something that I bring into the team, like always uh, be interested in what somebody likes or dislikes and just be, you know, the one who listens and also the one who gives feedback. And I think that's something that I bring with from the foundation to my daily job because it's just a different way of working uh, anyways, a foundation, you know. Yeah. The goal is also different, so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Last question for you, Pet Paul. Um, yeah, so, so, uh, I was still wondering a little about the feedback always. Uh, mm -hmm. So what's, what's uh, from your point of view, the uh, most important yeah, way to get feedback flowing, basically? Because that also has to be a normal ha a habit. It has to, yeah, has to become a habit. Yeah, I know. It's not really a habit of, of everyone, I think. No. Um, the thing here is actually, I think you have to create a team where you have just, uh, let's say you have a team with nine persons in it, at least you have to have two persons who are maybe even a bit blunt mm -hmm. and just saying everything okay, <laughs> that's yeah. on their plate. <laughs> yeah. And because they do 
at first it feels for everybody like whoa you know uh, what's happening can you be a <laughs> bit more s- s- you know yeah. <laughs> but but um anyhow i think it does create a sort of vibe that everybody feels safe mm-hmm. to give feedback because that's the reason why people don't give feedback yeah. because they don't feel safe to give feedback so uh, the most important thing is to create a safe environment that if you give feedback, you know, it's it's a good thing and it's not something, you know, you, I don't know, you get punished for or said like, no, oh, why, why do you say this? Or why You should be f- feeling safe. So that's an important thing. And you sh- should just have two people who are giving feedback just because they're a bit blunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Ramona, for your, uh, having you in this uh, in this episode. Also, thank you for presenting on the Spaces Summit. Uh, you want to share your uh, Albert Heijn story uh, with us mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, sharing the three principles you use uh, in, in your environment. Um, yeah, we should think what we can learn uh, from it. So, uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, thanks as well. Thank you very much. And joining today? Yes, definitely. This is my third summit and uh, yes, I like it very much. Uh, what talk do you have, uh, have on top of mind? Yeah, I have on top of mind about uh, cloud uh, scaling. And uh, yeah, it, the example was really nice. So that's now on top of my mind. Okay, thanks. Uh, you're from Google, right? How do you feel uh, at this day? Uh, yeah, it's re- been a really great event so far. I've, I've been doing a lot of different presentations and learned new topics, things that I don't normally come in contact with. Really a lot of fun. And we have uh, Remco Overdijk uh, here. He's a system engineer in one of our platform teams. So basically building the infrastructure on which uh, yeah, all our services uh, run. And uh, one of his uh, expertise is uh, Kubernetes. Welcome. Right, thanks. Thanks for having me. So what was the, the title of your talk um, uh, today? Uh, the title was Surviving the Kubernetes Jungle, which was a Kubernetes crash course in 30 minutes. Oh, well, in 30 minutes. Yep. <laughs> hey, and is it really a jungle out there? Um, it is if you're getting started with Kubernetes, uh, because um, the concepts are a bit different than you might have been used to, like deploying in a data center. Um, so if you're new to uh, the container world, um, um, deploying stuff and using Docker containers, uh, Kubernetes is a big leap to take. And um, that was the main inspiration for this talk. Um, as my team is managing the, our Kubernetes platforms in the Google Cloud. Uh, we see a lot of questions arising from people getting started with uh, with these products. Um, and they're having difficulty finding their way in the sea of resources that are available to them. Uh, and this ta- talk was um, an attempt to boil it down to the, the bare basics, to get, start w- get started with the basics and just go mm-hmm. from there. That, okay. was, that was the, the goal. Hey, and uh, from from the, the the listeners that are more from a functional perspective, just in a few sentences, what does Kubernetes for our IT platform? Kubernetes is a um, container orchestration manager. Um, wow! So um, we, we use it to deploy applications. Uh, usually, in the data center, an application is deployed on a server, like a virtual machine or a physical server. Um, but nowadays, we move to uh, putting applications in, in smaller units, which are co- called containers. Um, and these containers uh, have to be deployed somewhere as well. And Kubernetes is a platform orchestrator that manages a large um, 
a number of servers um, and ho actually hosts those containers on those servers and manages them really well. Okay, and, and what's the great advantage for us using this? Um, well, there are, there are so many advantages. Um, <laughs> Just a top three. But I, I guess resiliency is okay. uh, the, its greatest feature. Mm -hmm. um, you create a deployment on a Kubernetes platform, uh, and Kubernetes will manage it for you. Like if okay. a node goes down, um, your containers will be moved to another server. Um, you can span um, your cluster across multiple regions, so you're better protected against outages. So scalability uh, and uh, reliability are probably the key features why we are moving towards Kubernetes. Okay. Okay. Hey, and the, the 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 basically you're giving yeah like like a crash course as you were calling it. So yep. What were the, the important points that you uh, yeah, want to give to the audience? Uh, uh, I actually didn't get to the, the important points uh, in my talk because oh. as it turns out, 30 minutes is a really short time to, <laughs> to teach someone Kubernetes. I already knew that, but uh, it was a fool's errand. Um, but as we're answering questions uh, a lot on the support channels, uh, we see a trend in, in incoming questions. And I try to answer most of those uh, most of those questions in my talk. Like, why won't my pod run? Uh, because you're running into a quota. Uh, what's the difference between a deployment and a replica set? Um, well, a deployment and cases a replica set. That, that kind of stuff, that was, that was the goal of the presentation. So it was basically also like a frequently asked questions, but then beforehand, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because what we do as a company is we, um, we create all these structures around our platforms to make things easier for developers. Uh, for example, we use Pinnaker to deploy applications uh, into Kubernetes. Uh, and we abstracted some resources in our um, um, cloud deployment tool, which is called R2D2. Um, and that obscures the view on what's happening under the hood from a lot of developers. So mm -hmm. they don't have a clear grasp on what's actually happening under the hood. And I try to isolate just what's happening under the hood and strip away everything that we designed around it. So get back to the pure basics and uh, explain it from there. So if you know how that works, you can use the tooling as well. Okay, so it's hey. about uh, explaining to the, to the, more to the so software engineering uh, community, okay, this is uh, Kubernetes and, and these are the questions you are uh, asking us uh, as a team. So exactly, to and, and everyone else who is interested because uh, Kubernetes is such a hype word nowadays. Um, and it's actually a great platform to use, but you just n have to know how to use it. Yeah, I saw I saw this week somewhere that we're now celebrating five years of Kubernetes. Yep, correct. Uh, I was is, it, is it here to stay or is it? Uh, yeah, definitely. I was I was at KubeCon two weeks ago uh, in Barcelona, uh, which was a huge conference. There were um, um, uh, over almost eight thousand people there. Um, and everything about that conference made made it super clear that uh, Kubernetes is here to stay. This is going to be the uh, container deployment platform for the upcoming, well, maybe five years. Uh, and we'll see after that. Okay. <laughs> Remco, thanks again for uh, sharing this uh, story at Spacesmith, but also uh, attending this um, podcast uh, episode. Um, great to hear the story and... Uh, Hope to to have you in the in the podcast again, but that uh, we we have some more time to talk about uh, Kubernetes in depth. Sure, thanks for having me. Thanks, Remco. Ciao. Uh, yeah, I just saw the coffee table, which was pretty cool, actually. Um, 
it's it's amazing that somebody puts so much of his free time into just creating a coffee table so that's 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 good uh, well I just attended Simona's talk about this uh, IKEA table uh, that he inserted some uh, LED lights in and it was uh, really nice to see with including demo yeah I, I've seen actually how to transform what is a hobby in a talk so it was about the infinite table and now to build it and all of the galleries of pictures, that was really awesome. So Simonas, how was your presentation? Well, it definitely went better than I expected. Uh, to start with, the, the, the zone was like almost full. Uh, that was a surprise. And uh, this also another surprise was like, uh, because it was my first talk, uh, on like after two or three minutes of talking, like uh, the stress went away. Don't know how that happened, but uh, it helped. And uh, yeah, and uh, interactive uh, people and uh, great questions. Uh, talk went smooth. Uh, technology did not. Uh, uh, what's the word? Like technology did not uh, let me down. Yeah, so uh, yeah, all good, feeling great. Planning to do it uh, next year again? Well, if there will be, uh, if there will be people interested in, in me presenting, I probably will be submitting something and uh, we, have a, we have this way of people voting for what they want to hear, if they're going to vote for me, yeah, of course. Uh, and did you grow your network for building stuff like this in Bull.com together with other engineers? Uh, I don't know yet, but we're probably going to be able to measure that once we see the ball community growing or or not growing. Yeah. Okay, see. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Okay, yeah, it's always difficult to be in a committee and attending all the sessions, of course, but uh, glad you were able to, to join some as well. Yeah, um, I think uh, it's, uh, for me it was also uh, important to do this, to give back to the community, uh, because in Bol, um, uh, it's all about the community. Uh, on a daily basis, I use uh, lots and lots of stuff of the community, uh, but I couldn't give uh, back much up until now, and uh, for me the Space Cement Committee is a way of giving back. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this episode, check some of the others and subscribe to our feed. Go to Spotify or iTunes, search for TechLab and subscribe. And if you like the podcast, please leave your review. Hope to meet you in our next episode. Have fun.